Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Today I have a guest with me who I am really thrilled to be speaking to. We've connected online and her experience is very much a lived experience story. And I know I speak to professionals sometimes on this podcast, but generally I really like to hear from people who have the lived experience because that's what this is about. It's about creating a community of people who get it, who understand what it feels like to have been in this position and perhaps who have had to start realizing these things maybe as they've got older as opposed to always having a very traumatic childhood and who are looking for that sense of community so hi to Alexis Higgins hi hi I'm good (laughs) how are you I'm good I'm excited yeah thank you so much for coming on I can you tell me a little bit about yourself all right. Well, I'm Alexis Higgins. Um, and I had, you know, oh, I hate this question. I've heard you talk about this <laughs> question before. <laughs> Everybody does this. Everybody's like, oh my God, what do I say? Um, I, so I live um, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. I have three boys um, and, you know, a husband, we have a dog and we actually have two axolotls. So I don't know if oh. your kids know what axolotls are, but mine are obsessed with them. I thought they were fake, but they're not, they're real. Um, they're like a cute little salamander actually. Um, no, so you have to Google it. I'm not, I'm, I just to clarify <laughs> here, I re- flatly refuse to Google it because every time my kids learn about something new that they are potentially allowed to have in their home, they'll be like, can we get one mommy? <laughs> it's going to be a no. We've got cats we're getting a dog yep. it's it's a no yes yes um yeah um so I actually um started you know my own Instagram um for as a way for um, maybe people going through the same things that I did um in discovering that they were neurodivergent and then discovering that their children were too so um you'll notice that my name is neurodivergent five um my whole house is full of neurodivergence it gets a bit insane 
Um, so my three boys um, are on the spectrum and one of them does have an ADHD diagnosis and I myself have ADHD. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, you know, advocating is something that I'm very passionate about. So I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> no, I think that is, I think that's brilliant. It leads us into um, knowing a little bit more about you and about yes. your life experiences. And I know in particular, you'd mentioned that you've related to a lot of the podcast episodes that you've heard before. So yes. can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what exactly it is that you've related to? Um, yeah, so, you know, growing up, um, I never you know I always thought that you know my mother was a good mom you know I was as most little kids do I never you know I didn't you know I wasn't ever like physically abused um or I mean I grew up in the south so um we did get spanked um if we misbehaved um you know and that was always kind of a like you know corporal punishment was kind of the thing um and then but as I got older I you know I started to realize that there were some things that just weren't um, what should be normal. Or when I would tell my husband like things, he would be like, what? Like, n- no, that never happened to me. My parents mm. never did that. You know, and so a lot of being a girl and having this, my mother had a lot of um, body image issues. Um, she was a heavy set woman um, when I was a little girl and she, you know, lost a significant amount of weight by the time I was 13 or 14 years old. And she always seemed to project that kind of thing onto me and my sister. I have an older sister who is four years older and um, yeah, she would, you know, she would always make these comments like, oh, are you really going to eat that? Or, oh, mm. I don't think you need to eat anymore. I think you've had enough. And, you know, she would be like, oh, maybe you, you know, let's go for, you know, she would get me to walk. I, she would take me to Weight Watch, Watchers mm. meetings with her. And, you know, as a little girl, I didn't think anything of it. Um, but I can remember probably around the time I was eight or nine, you know, praying to God that I would wake up skinny the next day because it was just drilled into my head that like, oh, you're not, you're not skinny, you're chubby. Um, she used to have a nickname for me called um, Miss Piggy. Oh no. Yeah, um, a lot of that stuff. Um, and, you know, just a lot of, you know, her like deflecting a lot of her body dysmorphia mm. off onto me and my sister. And it was always a competition. Um, this, this is so crazy. But when I was an adult and I had moved out, she would go buy us Christmas gifts, right? And she would mail them to us. And she would always buy us like sizes that were like two or three sizes too big. Right. And then we couldn't like return them because we didn't have a receipt or we didn't know where she got them, that kind of thing. And it was just like, I never understood why she would do that. And I, now looking back, I'm like, oh, it was because she didn't like the fact that we, you know, as I got older, I did slim down. Um, and I was smaller than her at some point, and she couldn't grasp that, um, or deal with that. Um, and then, you know, just a lot of like emotional and mental, like abuse more so, um, with her, uh, she would, (laughs) she would, and she would always kind of like put me and my sister kind of against each other um yes. as we got older too like she would call my sister and be like oh well Alexis said this about you 
And then she would call me and be like, oh, well, you know, your sister said this about you. And it was just like, so then it would cause this like drift in our relationship. Eventually it just, as you know, like I said, as I got older, I started to realize what um, was really happening here Mm. and how the way she treated us and the way she talked. Oh, and everything was always about her. Like you, you know, you would tell her something and she would just be like, you know, somehow she would turn it around to be about her. Um, Like, you know, in the beginning of like becoming a mother myself, I'd be like, oh, the baby's not sleeping. He's, you know, he's so fussy. He's very clingy. And, you know, she would just be like, oh yeah, well, mm, you know, you kept me up all night too, you know, things like that. Like, you know, I don't need to know, you know, I mean, I just need some like, it's like little microaggressions, isn't it? Little reminders, you did that and it's about me. I'm important here, not you. Right, right. Um, And then, yeah, so that, you know, the, you know, the body image, the body dysmorphia and like, you know, just the subtle like attacks Mm -hmm. on me. Um, And then, you know, with the, like, her inability to, like, we couldn't talk back, like, we couldn't push back, we couldn't, you know, if we talked back, like, we would get smacked, or we would, you know, be sent to our, like, we were always wrong, Mm -hmm. um, and she was always right, it didn't matter, um, and it just kind of felt like, anytime that we tried to, you know, branch out, it was almost like we were hurting her in some way. Um, oh and, boy, do I relate to that? <laughs> yeah, and lots of um, and lots of guilt tripping. Yes, you know, and it just it becomes a lot, and you know, and it's hard to get out of that cycle, and it's hard to like not get sucked back in sometimes no. too. Yeah, I feel like I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, you're not at all. It's so relatable because it's people will hear it. And if they've not experienced it or they've experienced a bit here and it's just passed off as, oh, mum's a bit difficult. It's quite often people will hear it and they'll think, mm, right, okay, so your, your mum was a bit mean to you every so often. It's not really that bad, is it? But when you're actually in it and mm-hmm. it's a relentless, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts because it's a right. relentless toxicity if it's not about the weight and the body dysmorphia it's about something else if it's not about taking credit for your achievements it's about yourself in your darkest moments it's there's always something and what you've just said there about as you started to branch away anything that was like that was met with kind of a it's almost like they feel they've been betrayed because you are branching away and because you are becoming your own independent person. In my experience, and I know I've mentioned this a few times in the podcast, it was that becoming my own person and that reach for my own identity and to explore that even as young as being a teenager when I would want to explore things like my sexuality or I would want to explore things like perhaps I liked this kind of sport or perhaps I liked doing this or perhaps I enjoyed that everything that I might want to do that was like a reach for self was a threat to her right um, and also it was very interesting, you know, she, she definitely played favorites too. Um, you know, you talk about like scapegoating and golden child. Um, mm-hmm. So I was actually the middle child. So I was the child who kept quiet and walked around on tiptoes because I didn't want to break the rules. I didn't want to, you know, be the one 
to upset um, my parents because my sister, um, you know, she was the scapegoat and she did a lot of things, you know, she acted out mm. um, and, you know, put a lot of, I get like, well, from my mother's point of view, put a lot of strain on our family. Now as an adult, I obviously realized that it wasn't my sister's fault um, and that, you know, it was really just a baseline of like, my mother not being able to take accountability for the things that were happening. Um, and then you had my brother who was the boy who my mother, you know, loved. So the golden much. child. Yep. And like coddled and mm. he got his way. He didn't have to do anything. And here I was, I used to joke that I was like Cinderella because I was like scrubbing toilets at nine years old. You know, I was cleaning the bathrooms. Mm. I was doing the laundry you know, I was, you know, helping with the chores and stuff. And I can even remember by the time I was like 15, like my mom, my dad would call me like, oh, I'm on my way home from work. And my mom would be like, Alexis, you need to come downstairs and make your father a sandwich. He's on his way home from work. He's going to be hungry. And it's like, what? Like, <laughs> mm. But <laughs> you did know, you, did you at the time think what, or at the time were you just like, okay, that's what we do. Yeah. At the, well, yeah. I was a teenager. So I would mm. kind of like be like, well, why can't you do it? You know, I yeah. would back talk and then I would get in trouble. Mm. I would like lose my, you know, computer privileges. I wasn't allowed to use AOL, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no messenger for you tonight. Nope. No <laughs> aim for you. Um, you know, cause we only had the one computer, like, Mm. and you know the phone was a landline and it was like no phone for you yeah um that kind of thing and so it was just it was just a very very strange oh and she used to do this thing Harriet it was so now as an adult I'm like this is so bizarre um she would go grocery shopping okay and mm. she would buy um like wonder bread for me and my brother my sister had wasn't living at home at the time she buy all this junk food and then we had this closet of all this health food that she would like we were not allowed to touch we could not eat any of the food that was in that closet that was her food and really? then then turn around and like make me feel bad about being a little heavier but you're only buying me stuff that's not going to make me be thinner you know it was it was just in you know at the time I didn't think anything of it and now as an adult I'm like that seems to be kind of you know abusive in a way almost um, like engineering the right almost engineering not necessarily the weight gain but taking away the option for you to lose weight if you wanted to or taking away right. the option for you to be healthy but then simultaneously shaming you for being right. larger than she is but for right. me, I can understand entirely if you buy a load of junk food and you're like, that cupboard is off limits because Edith is one of the kids that will be like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have a yes. biscuit for breakfast. I'm going to have uh, this for lunch. It will be maybe like some Haribo, yes. some sweets, and then just go in and chuck some ice cream out there for dinner. That'll be nice. Yeah. So yep. I have to manage that and be like, okay, now let's have this and then you can have mm -hmm. some of that later. And we yes. have everything in moderation. So I could understand if it was the reverse, if it was like this cupboard's off limits without right. you asking permission, but for it to be the food that you would associate with being health food or the food that you would associate with being food that was perhaps better for the body, but have free reign to the junk food. That's, that's right. Really bizarre. That is bizarre. Right. It is. It is. Especially um, when she's someone who's so hyper-focused on your weight that she's nicknaming you. That's right. engineering right. it. 
Yes. Um, oh my gosh, I can, you know, <laughs> and I don't, you know, and it's so hard because sometimes it's like you, you get in your head and you're like, okay, did that really happen? Did she oh, really constantly. say that? Or did I just make that up or, you know, that kind of thing. And then you're like, you know, I know you mentioned before, like, you're like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. Like there are people who've had it worse. You know, I wasn't like abused and neglected, but at the same time, like, yes, I was, I was, you know, emotionally neglected. Yeah. I was, um, your podcast, um, this past Wednesday where she said, you hear a baby crying mm -hmm. and it can like almost aggravate you because you, you know, you were neglected as a child. So you're like, so when a baby's crying, it's like, well, I didn't get that attention. So why would I, you know, and I, I could see that because I was like, you know, when my kids would cry and I couldn't get them to stop, I would become very angry. Yeah. Like yep. I would totally be like, relate. why are you crying? Stop crying. Like mm -hmm. I've done everything. You, you know, you're not wet. You've been fed. You had a nap. What's wrong? <laughs> you know yeah completely and they just wanted that closeness and I think when you have had that upbringing where you've almost been that closeness or need for closeness has been weaponized or you've been shamed for wanting that closeness I think it can be really triggering when you have a child and the podcast episode that you're referring to there is with Emma Svanberg Dr Emma Svanberg who is the mammologist online and she specializes in maternal psychology and working with mothers um especially mothers who are um in the um perinatal phase where they've just perinatal it is perinatal isn't it yes, where they've just had baby yeah. yeah where they've just had baby and she was talking as you say about hearing a baby cry and that kind of frustration and overwhelm not even just because you're like but I've done everything and I can't make you stop but from the perspective of that inner child coming forward and going if I'd have done this if I'd have behaved this way yes it, it would have been hell on and it's not fair that you've got a parent who's going to change it for you and I didn't yes and that's really difficult to sit with because you're the parent you're the adult yes. you're the one changing it but there's that inner child in you going well hang on a minute <laughs> no one did well, that right for me. you know do you know how many times I heard oh you're just feeling sorry for yourself oh so I can imagine so often <laughs> but if you'd have turned to her and said when she was crying over something that was inconsequential you're just feeling sorry for yourself get a grip then you would have been so cruel correct correct well you know kind <laughs> of um I believe I mentioned in my email to you about her little um stint after my grandmother passed away um where she committed suicide or yeah or attempted suicide I'm you know you might need to put a trigger on that or something you know I don't know yeah. but um she attempted it and then it was like and that for me was the that was you know the final I was like I can't do this like this is you know and I know people will hear that and be like well why would you choose not to speak to your mother anymore after that like I feel like she would need you the most and the thing is though is that no she does not need me she needs professional help. Yeah. She needs, and a lot of the times though, it's like, she's done this before. Mm. It's an attention thing. Like, oh, pay attention to me. I'm mourning. I just lost my mother. Okay. But I just lost my grandmother. Yeah. Okay. And I was, you know, in, you know, behind closed doors going through, you know, some things of my own, you know, so not only had I just lost my grandmother, but we just found out that my six-year-old um, has absence epilepsy, 
So we are trying to figure out like, are the meds working? Cause there was a, there was a bit of a issue there where they weren't working or they were working, but he was also on another medication that was like interfering and it was like causing these disturbing like mood swings. Yeah. And so I was like dealing with that. And then, you know, my grandmother passed and then my mother did this whole attention seeking thing. And I was like, you know what? I, I just, I can't, I can't like, I need to focus on my, like my kids are my concern and my family is my concern. She is a grown woman. She has a husband. She is his concern. Yeah. And they can deal with it. And, you know, it was just, um, one of those things where it was like, I was tormented by it almost. And I've talked to my therapist about it and she was like, no, I think you're doing the right thing because it's, it's not something for you to worry about. Again, you're not the parent, you're the child. Yeah. Even when you're an adult, most therapists will tell you that even as an adult, it's not your responsibility to be responsible emotionally or otherwise for your parents, especially not if they are pretending that they've attempted suicide for attention. I mean, that really is so incredibly cruel. Yes, that was the way that I saw it. And, you know, I explained to my therapist, I was like, listen, I am not someone who takes suicide ideation lightly. You know, Mm -hmm. I have had my own struggles, you know, postpartum, I struggle with postpartum depression. Um, I've been in that dark place where you feel like there is no way out, where you feel like this is the only way to escape these feelings. And so on one hand, like, do I... I don't know if it's sympathize or empathize with um, her feeling this way, but also at the same time, it's like, do you really feel this way? Because it's hard, you know, she's like the boy who cried wolf a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it puts a, it almost puts like that stigma everyone has about suicide on it, where it's like, oh, it's so selfish. Or, oh, it's like, and, you know, but there are people out there who really aren't doing it to be selfish. They're really doing it because they're that far gone. Whereas this was a cry for wolf, you know, and. Because I think you said in your email that you later discovered she hadn't attempted suicide. That was completely fictitious. Um, Not this time around. I don't know if it was fake or not. But when I was about 15, she had pretended to swallow some muscle relaxers after an argument with my father. And I called the cops um, because I was like I was scared. I called 911 and then I got in trouble for it Mm. because I was scared and I called, you know. I call which is what we're and we, taught to do that's right what you would and do. you know and it was my mother you know yeah. I was like oh my god you know and I you know I was 15 I had never seen anyone overdose before like the only overdose I've ever seen was Pulp Fiction and yeah. <laughs> you know and so it was like I didn't you know and so it was it was just a you know another it was so it's hard to believe um when people do things like when they've already done it before and, you know, she, you know, she had like fake, like a couple of times had faked cancer, um, which, which is, is also just, a really yeah, shitty thing to do. That is so um, like beyond the pale and it's that right. desperate need 
for all the attention to be on me. And I know anyone who's experienced a narcissistic parent will either be like, yeah, I've experienced the faking of the illness. I've experienced the, oh, this dramatic thing's happened and you drop everything and you rush to get them to the hospital. And then you get there and they're like, oh, actually, <laughs> I didn't, that's not true. Maybe I over-exaggerated a little bit. Well, I embellished a little bit, I'm, you know. <laughs> All of these different things, but to right. actually fake cancer and pretend that you have cancer is just so... I was 13 wicked. years old the first time, um, and it was ovarian cancer, yeah. and she had a hysterectomy, and I was I was upset. You know, you hear you're 13 years old, you hear, oh, your mother has cancer, and then I didn't realize that it was fake until I was older and another family member had actually told me that that wasn't true. She made it all up. Um, and it was like, I feel like a couple, maybe like a year after, maybe not a year, but it was a little while after my grandfather had passed away. Um, and then, which was her father. Um, yeah. And then um, when I was pregnant with my first, she suddenly had liver cancer. But it was like interesting because as soon as she left my father, she no longer needed this medication. She no longer needed, you know, she was no, she was no longer going to John Hopkins. And it was just like, you're cured like that. A like, miraculous Oof. recovery, <laughs> a miraculous wow. recovery when things are going her way and she's got the source that she needs. Right. Which is right. what that sounds like. And again, I'm not diagnosing. One of the things that I'm really keen to sort of say on, on this podcast is I'm not diagnosing anybody. I think it, the, we can have narcissistic traits and we can have narcissistic behaviors without mm -hmm. actually being somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder. And I think that's a real oh, misconception. Yes. It's when they've got that source. And if she has a new person in her life, we can know quite often that with narcissists or people who behave in a narcissistic manner, when they meet somebody new, they put that mask on and everything's bright and shiny and that person yep. really buys into who they are. They're not going to call them out on their bullshit. And right. all of a sudden they've got this new person who provides this source of Yep. whatever it is that they're needing in that moment, that attention, that idolization. And I know when I became estranged from my mum, she would almost pick out people that she knew would sympathize with her and would be like, oh, so terrible. It's so awful yep. what Harriet's done to you. You know, that's just so terrible. And then after maybe three to six months maybe a little bit longer sometimes there would be a new person because that person would start to see a different side of them would be like mm, yeah actually that's yep. not mm, you're a bit this is a bit too much and it's really it's looking back at the patterns throughout my childhood there were so many instances like my mum was routinely suspended from work for bullying and there were so many instances where she would have made a best friend out of a new work colleague. And then within a year, that work colleague would move. Yes. yes. Or that work colleague would have put a complaint in about her bullying or something to that effect where either my mum would end up suspended because of her behavior. And then we'd have these long conversations, bearing in mind that I'm either not quite a teenager or a young teenager at this point. And we'd have these long-winded conversations about how awful they were. And after everything my mum did for the poor girls at work and how <laughs> terrible it was. And it was only when she left work and was with me constantly and didn't have those people to pick at that I started to think, shit, 
you if this is how you behaved at work like that's not normal and then when she started to do things to my kids that she'd done to me I was like hang on a minute none of this is normal none of it right right yeah and um I can remember um oh gosh this is kind of like the whole like when you said when you said um after all I've done for them it just reminded me um when I was 15 I ran away from home and I we were living in Montana at the time and I took a flight to North Carolina to visit my boyfriend who was still living there um and I didn't get back on the flight home and I remember hearing my mom on the phone with my grandmother because I was at my grandmother's house and she was like I just can't believe what a selfish bitch she is (gasps) after all I've done for her and you know at 15 you're like I'm you know I'm just upset like I don't want to go home because I know that when I get home my life is going to be miserable um, and my grandmother, you know, I can remember my grandmother, she's, she was such a sweetheart. She would, she was like, she's just not happy. She's just not happy there. She can live with me. It's fine. She's just not happy. And, but no, it was my mom's way or the highway. My parents did not speak to me for three years. Yeah. After when you were 15, when I was 15, wow. I did not hear from them for three years. Um, and they refused to um, sign uh, paperwork to allow me to enroll in the public high school so that I could uh, finish my senior year. I had to wait till I was 18 to um, enroll into the community college and get my high school diploma through their adult high school education program. So, yeah, I mean, it was just and so they were punishing me. Yeah doing something that they didn't like and you know I remember my sister saying to me like I'm so proud of you I have never seen you stick up for yourself when it came to our mother and I just want you to know that I'm proud that you were able to do that um you and know is your and... sister the oldest so your little brother's yes. the baby he's the baby my, yep, you've my got an older sister okay yeah yeah and um and my poor brother is still like kind of stuck in the you know, yeah. I feel like it's harder for him because he lives in the same state as my mom. Right. Um, so it's kind of like he's within reach, whereas me, like I'm a state away, but like just, I've never invited her. I like I'm not going to invite her to my home. Um, so it would have to be like, a you know, she just shows up uninvited mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and do you still have contact with your mother like sporadically? Um, I did up until, okay. oh, it's probably been, I want to say my grandmother passed away either January or February. So after that, like, I just was like, I can't do this anymore. And I, you know, ignored messages. Um, she still tries to like reach out. Like um, she had posted like a passive aggressive thing um, on Facebook, trying I get to trying to get me to react. And I just ignored it. And then I posted a photo of the boys the other day and she had commented, oh, so cute. And I just didn't acknowledge it, you know? So it's just kind of like, I haven't completely gone and like blocked her from social media just because I know that when I do, I'll be getting like email, you know, I'll be getting messages from like other family members like you you only have one mom you know you'll be so sad when something happens oh yeah all the classics (laughs) yes but the thing is is like no I'm not I'm not going to I'm setting a boundary and you know Mm -hmm. I have forgiven her 
for the way she treated me growing up, but that does not mean that I have to have a relationship with her. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people will, they don't seem to understand that you can forgive if you choose, because you don't, I, I've never been a fan of you have to forgive someone in order right. to be able to heal or to move on. But if you choose to do that for yourself, you can forgive that person and still not have them in your life. And it really frustrates me that people are like, you should forgive. And it's like, mm, I have, I'm, but I don't need them in my life. That doesn't right. mean I don't have that, to have a relationship. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they're forgiven, so they're entitled to come back in. It's I forgive right. you. I and wish you well, but I don't need you here, and that's right. okay. Right, you know, um, and it's setting that boundary. Um, and I know it's just I don't want her to have the opportunity to do what she did to me to my boys you know I yeah. mean just the the psychological mind games of you know well I'm your mother you know and I, I I just felt like even as an adult it was like I had to agree with her and I can remember one time this is when we were still in contact and um, she was still with my father and they came to visit it was around May it was around um, U.S. Mother's Day and my son, my oldest was probably almost two and we were in the car and um, we're driving and like, I need my phone for navigation. And, you know, my two-year-old's just like screaming in the car. He's upset. He's crying. My father's in the back with him. He doesn't want anything to do with my father and my mother's in the front and she's just, you know, on her phone, you know, whatever. And he's screaming he wants my phone he wants to watch my phone and I was like honey you can't watch my phone I need it because I don't know where we're going and he's just screaming he's screaming and I asked him I was like would you mind giving him your phone and she like a 16 year old girl is like why should I give him my phone I was like can you just give him the phone like I got really yeah. loud and like freaked out because like I don't know about you but I cannot drive with a toddler screaming in the back yeah it's that it completely overwhelm isn't it it's a complete sensory overwhelm you've got yes. someone screaming you're trying to focus on the road you've got noise coming from the car it's just oh it's right. one of the and worst like, feelings that bubble and, yeah and it was like the first time I think I had dropped an f-bomb in front of her and I was oh, like yeah. you know in my 20s I was in my yeah. 20s I was like can you just give him the fucking phone like he's not like God, you know, like I just remember being so frustrated and just the way she reacted. I was, it was, it was just very like childlike almost. Yeah. Was the and reaction... then I felt guilty. Yes. I was going to say. Guilty. So <laughs> I then I ended up apologizing to her. Yeah. I ended up apologizing to her. Um, And I feel like my whole life, I felt like my whole life, I was apologizing to her. I remember being like a little girl, like just learning how to read and write. And I, I must, I don't know what I did, but I got in trouble for something. And I can remember leaving her little notes being like, I'm sorry, mom, that I, you know, I upset <gasps> I you to today. Yeah. I, you know, I love you. You're the best mom. Like, I remember leaving her these notes and I'm like, you know, looking back, I was like, at the time it was like, oh, that's so sweet that she left her mom that, but then it's like, why is this child apologizing for being a child? Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure it was something like, oh, I had a meltdown in the grocery store or something, you know, trivial that children do. And, you know, just that, it just baffles me. Um, and then, you know, I know you were mentioning and, you know, 
podcast this week about how like sometimes you hear your mother's voice come out when you talk to your children and that guilt that you have afterwards and how it just can like eat you alive like it's just like oh my god like I sound just like her um I struggle with not if I don't validate their feelings I feel really guilty about it later even though they've moved on it's over whatever like you know, my, my nine-year-old is very dramatic. And um, like, so if he stubs his toe, he'll just be like, <laughs> he's so upset about it. And he will be like, Oh, my toe, my toe. And he'll just like constantly talk about it. And I'm like, you're okay. Yeah. You stubbed your toe. <laughs> deep, deep breath. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then like a couple hours later, I was like, Oh, I really should have validated those. Yeah. Like, I should have been like, Oh, I'm sorry that that happened. Like, are you okay? Whereas I'm like, you're fine. Yeah. You know, and because that's how I was responded to as a child. I was always told that I was like a crybaby, over dramatic, you're feeling sorry for yourself. Um, life's not that bad. Like yeah. you know, I used when you're to 15, get 16 years old, yeah. life is that bad. <laughs> it is. And I used to get, you're a child, what have you got to be stressed about? And I hate that now because there's so much to be stressed about as a child. Yeah, okay, it's not bills. It's not how am I going to keep a roof over the head? And they are very big stresses. We know that. But they're different stresses and that doesn't make them any less valid. And I think with you saying there about like rolling your eyes and being like, you're fine. That's perfectly okay. But because you were so used to hearing nothing but that, nothing but a dismissal of your feelings, nothing but a almost mocking of having those feelings, of having those normal reactions, Yes. You're now so hyper aware of it that you're you're like, oh, I should have validated it, even though actually in that moment, you're fine, get on with it, it was perfectly fine. Right. Pick but, yourself up. Like, I'm not yeah. going to. But you just coddle you. <laughs> so worried that you're going to become your own parent. Right. That you go as far the other way. And then I'm going to make them like, um, I really struggle with, um, you know, if somebody tells me like some horrible news, I it makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'll be like, Oh, I'm sorry. And then I feel like I'm not being, you know, empathetic or that I'm not, you know, I just, I get very uncomfortable around emotions. Yeah. Um, and I think it's partly to do with, I was emotionally neglected. I, so when people are upset, like when my, you know, my husband, you know, especially when men cry. Um, so, you know, if my husband, has like a bit of a, you know, a weak, you know, a little bit of a, or a tinge of like a break, you know, a meltdown and like, he might tear up. I'm like, ew. Yeah. What, what's happening? How do Why I navigate we... this? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Because, you know, it was, um, you know, I never saw my, my father never, you know, expressed any sort of like, you know, emotion. Mm. Um, and it was, so it just makes me very uncomfortable when people are like, oh, you know, my mom or my mom just died or, you know, my grandmother just got diagnosed with cancer. And it's like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. And then I don't I don't know what to say after yeah. that, because it's just like I don't know how to cope with big emotions. I don't know how to you know navigate that. And so I fear that I'm going to turn my children into someone who can't be there for people um, because I don't know how to do it. And so when I, you know, disregard like, oh, you stubbed your toe, you're fine. You know, I'm like, okay. 
or you know there's times where he's being over dramatic because he didn't get to play enough video games for the day and it's like <laughs> I'll roll yeah. my, I'll be like I and sometimes I'll be like I can't do this right now and I'll roll my eyes and I walk away and then I'm like yes. should have been more like well I'm sorry that you know you feel like you didn't get enough time to play with your friends versus just being like you play with your friends every day you know yeah it's that it's that desperate need to be what you needed right it's that be... need to be what you needed it's that need yes. to fulfill that space that's been left for your inner child and make sure that your children don't have that and I completely get that and relate to it and it is so difficult to navigate because as Emma said on the podcast that you'd mentioned about those those big guilty feelings when you feel that you've you've popped out as your mother we almost have a, a tendency to or we do have a tendency to go the opposite way and sometimes mm-hmm. we go too far the opposite way because we're trying right. so hard not to be our mothers whereas overcompensating yes yeah overcompensating. Like, I feel that all the time yeah and you've got to kind of work on yourself but the biggest thing for that is being self-aware and being able to go actually no okay I'm gonna put my hands up there I should have done that differently let's talk about it or oh no okay I was good there I didn't do too much I didn't do too little I'm okay I'm gonna be kind to myself and say yeah that was fine yeah and it's that that's the big difference between what we're doing now and what we had growing up because we didn't have that growing up there was nobody to be accountable Right. And I think too, you know, in, you know, in today's society, it's all about like gentle parenting and like, it's hard to gentle Mm -hmm. parent, you know, Um, you know, being there for, you know, every little thing like, oh, I see that you're frustrated, you know, and remaining calm, especially when you have had a day yourself and then you blow up and then you feel like a total monster and you're like, oh, just like my parents. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good at this. Like I'm bad at this. Um, And then, you know, it's healing that inner child, I think, you know, makes it even harder. It makes it harder to parent when you are also trying to parent the inner child. Yeah. Because you, there's just so much that, you know, you didn't get that you're missing and that, you know, you never really feel like like that void is almost never really filled. Um, and I think it's hard. And then sometimes like, you know, I, I realized that like, it's just so funny because sometimes, you know, before I really started to like realize, you know, that I had a toxic mother, I would be like, my inner child is fine. I grew up Mm. fine. Like I'm fine. I have a good head on my shoulders. She didn't really disrupt me that much, but then somebody raises their voice a certain decibel. And I like tense up and then I shut down. I become like, I dissociate and I become very quiet and like almost like a dog with its tail between its legs because I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? What is about to happen now? Like, am I going to be like, you know, chastised? Like, am I going to get the brunt of this or am I, or like, do I run and hide? Like that fight or flight kind of kicks in and you don't, and I am one who just like freezes yes yeah like shuts down and just like takes that like verbal beating you know what I mean (laughs) you know like completely and you know I think you know again like I said you know being the middle child I was the quiet one I was the one who didn't I made sure not to do anything that would upset my mother because I did not want to get yelled at I didn't want you know my life was easier if I kept quiet and you know, and I, 
And I think sometimes even as an adult, I feel that way, you know, sometimes as an adult, I'm like, oh, it's just easier if I don't say anything. But, and I, you know, that obviously comes from, you know, growing up where I was taught not to say anything and not to let my voice be heard, you know, just like when I was saying earlier, you know, I was talking to my sister, it's like, you're allowed to talk about these things. You're allowed to put it out there for other people who may be going through a similar thing. It's okay. And if they don't like it, oh, well, like I saw something the other day that was like, if you don't like what I have to say about the way you treated me, then maybe you should have been a nicer person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, I get a lot of uh, comments about airing dirty laundry and that kind of thing. Mm. And that is what keeps abusers abusing. That's what that is. Because what you're saying is in not being silent, you're making me uncomfortable. And perhaps I'm having to look inwardly at some of my toxic behaviors because we've all got them. We've all got behaviors that actually we have to unlearn or that we have to look at critically and say, that's not how I want to behave and they might not be toxic they might be toxic under certain circumstances but every single one of us will make mistakes because that's the nature of humans but if you are willfully ignoring it and you're being willfully neglectful or abusive to your child and someone else is talking about that experience that they've had with their parent well then that's going to have that's going to come with consequences for you you're going to have to start thinking "Mm, should I have behaved that way can I behave right. that way? Can I continue to behave that way? And what people mean when they say you shouldn't air your dirty laundry or they say you shouldn't talk about it or you should, right. you know, just move on and keep quiet and just get over it. What they mean right. by that is by talking about it, you're making me uncomfortable and you're stopping me from behaving that way. And you're right. making me look bad because I behave that way. So should I put Right, stop? exactly. And it's, you know, it's that whole, um, uh, it's that whole thing of, I don't want, I need to look a certain way outside of the family, you know, and if you are, you know, saying these things, then you, you know, you are changing the way people are perceiving me and that's a threat, which, okay. Um, And there was something, you know, I can't remember which episode it was, but you were talking and you were talking to, I think it was two, um, I think there were two psychiatrists Yes, and, it would have been um, uh, Helen Villers and Katie McKenna. Yes, uh, and so, they yeah. said something. They said something about um, how people are like, "Well, emotional abuse isn't real abuse." Uh, yeah, and I never thought about it in that way until I listened to that episode where she was like, "All abuse starts with emotional abuse yeah. because people, you know, you you almost you groom them, you build yeah. them up, you you know, and then." you know, you start to tear them down so that there's nothing left. And then, you know, you make them believe that they deserve to be treated this way. And I was like, that is so, I never thought of it that way. And that was just so mind blowing. I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I've never thought of it in that way. Like, obviously I knew emotional abuse was real abuse, but it never occurred to me that without emotional abuse, there wouldn't really be any other Um, And then I think in that same podcast, you had talked about how your husband, Adam, if he gets quiet, you start to get like, and it's so, my husband's name is Adam also. And if he (laughs) does the same thing, I'm like, what's wrong? What did I do? Are you mad at me? Did I do something? And it's just this like, and it makes you crazy. You know, it makes you feel like you're unstable because it's like, 
what did I do? What, like, I don't understand why you're mad at me. And I don't know about you, but I will like push and push and push and be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And then he'll be like, nothing. And like, yeah. he'll, you know, be like, just leave it. Like it has nothing yeah. to do with you, but it's very, it's hard when you grew up in that environment where you were given the silent treatment or, and if, you know, they were silent, it was like, okay, why are they being silent? Yeah. What, what happened? Yeah, after um, after I became estranged from my mum and just before, we really hit rock bottom and we've had to kind of build up from there. And Adam now will, even if we've had an argument, will be like, I'm not giving you the silent treatment. I just need to take time to mm-hmm. process this. I'm not going anywhere, okay? Mm-hmm. I just need to take five because he was very avoidant. So he mm-hmm. would... He would self-sabotage things he'd rather set things on fire than talk it through yes (laughs) so we were polar opposites which quite often you'll find happens so he would suppress his feelings and then set fire to everything in order to get away from having to talk about those feelings right which is the opposite of what I needed because I'd be sat there like I can't have you be silent because I don't know what's happening and I'm panicking yep And I'd never actually really sat and explained to him that, you know, I could go days without my mum properly talking to me if I'd really pissed her off. And as you said, you had years of being treated as the outsider, the outcast, not being spoken to Mm -hmm. because you'd wanted to leave the home. Right. And it makes for really it makes for really difficult communication because you're anxious and you're Mm -hmm. anxiously attached. You're fawning to that person. You're hoping that that person's going to give you what you need, but quite unable to express it because you don't understand it yourself. Because you just sat in this fear response for your entire life. And then your partner, especially if they have the same dynamic that we did, is total opposite and is like, I'm pissed off. So I'm avoidant or I. Yes. Yes. Yeah it he he has expressed to me before that he's like when you you know get upset like this I don't know what to do and it makes me uncomfortable so I shut down and that makes it even harder for me because it it brings back all those like abandonment like issues I know what you mean it's just really difficult yeah it is and it, it does and I think it you know like you said the communication piece like I'm one who wants to talk it out I want to know why it you know like but then on the same end, if he wants to talk about something that makes me uncomfortable, I will, I would rather set things on fire than deal with mm. it. I would avoid it. And it's so, it really, it's so interesting. Cause like I, I can go one way or the other where it's like, if it's something that I really want to talk about and he doesn't, I get upset. But if it's something that he really wants to talk about and I'm like, that makes me uncomfortable. I know yeah. I don't want to talk. I will like change the subject. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting, actually. And I think that happens quite a lot with people who have those abandonment fears and not not that I'm getting in your head. But no, I, no. I noticed the same thing with myself because I'm very hyper independent in the way that I would rather put my back out and cause myself physical harm than ask you for help. I would rather struggle like hell than ask anyone for help. I hate it with a passion because Mm -hmm. if I need something from you, then you have a bit of power over me. And with the same in the sense that if he wanted to start talking to me about something that was upsetting him, I would immediately start to self-blame and be like, okay, no, it must be me. I must be the problem. Oh my God, he's going to leave me. And I've had to work really hard to sit in a space where I'm like, that's okay. You're going to be okay you can cope with that if it is something like that if it is that dramatic space that your mind has gone to 
you'll be okay, breathe through it and just kind right. of self-coach myself because if he's upset with something and he wants to discuss it, I'm, I get that fear response and it's all centered around fear. That's where it yep. all comes from. It's that yep. fear of abandonment. If you need to talk to somebody about something and you're then they're unable to meet that need, you fear that you're pushing too hard, that they're, they are angry with you. And actually, in reality, they don't want you anyway. They're going to leave. And then if they need to talk to you about a problem that they have, it's that fear of abandonment. So if I don't hear it, if I put my blinkers on. Yes, yes. It's, not gonna it's like the worst sentence. It's like the worst sentence ever that you can get from someone is like, we need to talk. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Why? Why? What's happened? Yeah. What's going it's on? A, I don't think that um, sentence has yeah. ever not been met with somebody going, why? Why right? is it? <laughs> oh, God. Like you feel your heart the drop fear. into your stomach and you're just like, <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. Um, and then, yeah, but what you're saying about being hypervigilant and stuff, like I am that way. I am like, I won't ask, I won't wait for my husband to help me with something because I'm like, I can do this. Like, I don't need anyone's help. I'm a strong, independent, you yeah. know, woman. And it's because I have been so used to doing things on my own where, you know, like I never really, you know, had any sort of support system. Um, and I feel like it's especially difficult when you have children of your own and it's like, I will not ask for help with my boys. I, I feel so guilty. Like one of my friends, she's our neighbor. And there are times where like, I need her to pick my six-year-old up from school. And I feel so guilty asking her. Yeah. I dread it. And she's like, oh yeah, no problem. I don't care. But then I feel, but, and then the, the, the other end of it is, is like, I know she doesn't care to do it. I know she loves to do it. She's going to the mm -hmm. school anyway yeah. to get her son. And, you know, we live next door. It's not that big of a deal. But then if she were to ask me if I can pick up her kid and like, I will yeah. Let's say there's a day that for some reason I, I can't, like, I'm not even able to pick up my own kid. I feel immense guilt because <laughs> yeah. I feel like you did something for me. So I have to do something for you. And I think that's because I grew up in this, you know, my mother's love was very much conditional. Yeah. I do this for you. You do this for me kind of thing. You know, it was just like this back and forth. Um, you it's know, I can transactional remember. relationship, isn't right. it? Right. And it, it's almost like, and I remember talking to my girlfriend about this. I was like, you know, sometimes I feel guilty that I don't like initiate more of a relationship between my children and my mother because she'll send that, you know, she get it, she buys them these Christmas presents and she sends them Christmas presents, she sends them birthday presents. And it's like, no, I don't owe her mm. anything. No, she can send Christmas presents all she wants. I that's on her. That's her decision. I did. That doesn't mean that I have to let her see my kids. Like no. that, you don't buy. And into I really a relationship. struggled with that. Yeah, right. And I really, really struggled with that for a long time because I was like, oh well, you know, she is the grandmother, and maybe even though she wasn't a great mom to me, it was you know maybe she could be a better grandmother and. But the thing is, is that buying presents does not make you a better grandmother than you were mother. No, that has nothing to do with it. And then it's like, it's just this whole dynamic of, okay, is this going to be a transactional relationship with my kids? Like, oh, well, we remember that time when grandma bought you this, this, and this, like, well, I think you could, you know, at least 
I don't know, come stay with me for a weekend or something. And it's like, but no, like that's not how it's, it's supposed to be unconditional. It's not supposed to be conditional. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be a transaction. I get quite a lot of comments of people saying, oh, so you'll be happy. You'll be okay if she's taking you out of her will then. And I'm like, are you implying that an adult child should stay in contact with an abusive parent purely so they can be in the will? Is that not a bit, is that how you view it? That the end game here is so you can get something back because that right. t- that says everything about how you view the relationship I right. don't care if she's taken me out of the will I won't have a relationship with her regardless like, do, right. do I get do I get more money dependent on how bad the abuse is like <laughs> is there a is there a fund there is it tiered right like, how ridiculous <laughs> And yet how much so abuse can yeah. she inflict depends how much on how much she... money you get. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, am yeah. I, I know. It's just, it's such a ridiculous way to look at it. But for so many of these toxic parents, especially the ones that reach out to me, and I know my mother would have said the same, or you, you'll be out of the will. It's because their belief is that the relationship is transactional. Right. You give them what they want. And then they will let you potentially be in right. the will if there's anything left at the end of it. It's just and I hate that. Yeah. And I hate that whole like, well, after all they've done for you, what like took care of me as yeah. a child? That's what you do when you have children. You wipe their ass yeah. you know, until they can do it themselves. You feed them, you diaper them, you fold them. Like that's what parents do. That's their job. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, the literal job, Susan. Like it's the literal job. Right. You've it's just like, got to get on with it. We do you not know, hand it's... out medals for basics. Right. And I, you know, I talked to my sister, you know, because, you know, you talk a lot about accountability and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, I always tell my sister, I was like, sometimes I'm like, well, she did always, you know, she would sometimes say, you know, I'm sorry that I wasn't a good Mm -hmm. mom, but I tried my hardest. Yeah. And I'm like, thinking back and I'm like, but did you, Mm -hmm. did you, because whenever I have a drastic issue in my life, whenever I'm really going through something, whenever it came to light or whenever it was presented to me that my youngest may or may not be autistic, I didn't call my mother. Mm. I called my girlfriends. So I talked their ears off about, well, I've been researching this and this is in it. I, I, yeah, they are. I, they they're absolutely are. You know, like, I didn't, you know, I told her once the testing came back, but I never once like reached out to her to talk about it because I was like, one, there's, there wouldn't be anything that she would say. And I know there wouldn't be anything that she would say that would make me feel better because it would always be, you know, in some way, shape or form gone back to her. You know what I mean? Like, and there's a difference between, you know, relating and, you know, centering. Yeah. And it's just, you know, because, um, you know, something that, um, this is kind of off, off topic, but something that um, a lot of people think about those of us with ADD or autism is that when you tell us something and we try to relate it back, normally it can come off rude, but no, we're just trying to empathize. Yeah. And like, oh yeah. And there's a huge difference between that. There's a huge difference be- between being like, oh yeah, I went through something similar and then just being like, oh, well, I mean, it can't be that bad when I was, you know, da, 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 da. Yeah. and it just, and I can remember another time too, I told my sister, my sister couldn't believe this. I was like, yeah, when my first boyfriend broke up with me, my, the only thing my mother had to say was, well, at least you didn't have sex with him. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, 
okay, I'm 13. Mm, wow. <laughs> and I know that doesn't mean anything, but like, where's the like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, like, where's the compassion? The like, I'm 13 thing. years old. I just had my heart broken for the first time, but at least I still have my virginity. That's just, <laughs> it's that, isn't it? That dismissal of your feelings. Right. It's yeah, the dismissal. dismissal that like, oh, well, so then you know what that did to me? When I did start dating other people and I did start having sex, it was like, oh, well, it made me feel worthless because it was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I don't have anything, you know, yeah. this relationship's ended and I don't at least, you know, where's the at least I had, where's the silver lining, you know, because. Yeah. And so that in turn kind of, you know, made me feel less than because I no longer had, well, you know, I no longer had something to be proud of. Well, at least I still have my dignity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's such a bizarre thing to impress upon a young teen as well. Such a bizarre thing, because if you had have slept with him, that wouldn't make it sting any more or less. It's Right. What if I had had sex with him and she didn't know? I wonder if that was maybe her way of digging to see if you had, then she could hold it over you. I'm sure. I'm, Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, she 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 was very not so much me, but I know that she would like read my sister's diaries and you know all this stuff. Um, I do know that when I moved out, she had told my grandmother that she had read my diaries and she was like, she had this plan. She was never going to come home. Like, never should have trusted her. Yada yada yada. And it was like, I'm a child. It's that placing you in the position of being an adult. And I know you'd said to me just before we got on the call that when your parents had separated, both of them treated you as kind of the third adult in the relationship. So they'd both right. come to you with their woes and that like kind I of was thing. their their friend. Yeah. Like yeah. I like they were they were it was like they were venting to a friend or a therapist or you know, and I can even remember I think at one point saying to my mom, like and I probably could have been a little more assertive, but I remember being like, well, you should really, you know, talk to a therapist about this. Yeah. You know, I mean, like trying react. to be like, like get the hint, you know? Yeah. And um, she was just like, yeah, you're probably right. And she's like, I do have a therapist, but I mean, it's just, you know, it's nice to be able to, I feel like she almost was trying to put it off as like, but you know, the whole story, mm. you know, what's gone on over the, and I was like, but it's the point of a therapist is non- biased opinion like you know and like she she never really got the hint because I would be like oh and then you know another example is this past Christmas you know me and my siblings got together for Christmas and she had sent me a text message and she was like oh I'm so glad that you and your siblings are you know getting along and are close now and spending the holidays together and then it ended with but I'm not I'm not doing anything for Christmas because you know marriage problems I'm just not in the spirit and I'm just like how do I I didn't even respond because I'm like how do I what am I supposed to say like oh I'm what I'm sorry that you're like like are you trying to get me to invite you to Christmas I was gonna say that sounds to me very much like why don't you come along and you can spend the whole time bitching about your new husband that I don't want to hear and again, I think a lot of people, they have, as they get older, if you've had a healthy relationship, you almost get to that point where you have a bit more of a mutual respect for each other as two adults with their own boundaries and their own lives. And it right. does slide into more of that friend framework. I think Helen had said it might have been on, on one of their podcast episodes, which was Insight. That's Helen Villas, who is a psychotherapist. 
She'd said that it's not unusual for children to think of their parent as the best friend, for Mm -hmm. even adult children to think of their parent as like their best friend. I'm so close to my mum. It isn't normal or acceptable for a parent to view their child as their best friend, whether that child be a child or an adult. And that's not to say when you see these posts where people are like, oh, my little bestie, that's very different because what you're talking about is in a super close relationship where you adore one another. But when you are an actual best friend, you have a mutual understanding of being able to share things with each other, of being able to speak to each other about everything, of being each other's shoulder to lean on, uh, shoulder Mm -hmm. to cry on, to be that person that you can lean on. And you can't do that with your children and maintain a healthy right. dynamic because even as adults, there is a line that is crossed when you are talking right. to your children about things that are not their business. Right. And the, they they don't need to know. No. They don't need to know it. And they don't they don't need that responsibility of like, yeah. oh yeah, my mom's really going through it, you know, like there's a health like you said, there's a healthy dynamic of it, like, oh, you know, like you know, a girlfriend of mine, you know, her mother was diagnosed with cancer and she's like, oh yeah, you know, my mother's really going through it, you know, and all, but that, you know, that's different. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah, You know, but her mother is not expecting her to like, listen to her cry about how awful, you know, it is and how, cause, and, and, cause I feel like if I were very ill, I would kind of want to keep that from my kids to like protect them. Like I wouldn't want them to be burdened with, oh, you know, I've been, I've been throwing up all day because, you know, of the camp, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, even though like they would, like they may say like, oh no, you can tell us, but like, I just Mm. feel like there's a fine line of what needs to be known and what doesn't need to be known or what needs to be shared. And when you were talking about like, you know, people who, you know, adult children who say that their mother is their best friend did you ever find yourself like envying those no because I would have been that person so if you asked me 10 years ago (laughs) if you'd have I was so enmeshed with my mother if you'd have asked me 10 Mm -hmm. years ago I would have been that person I would have been like yeah my mom's my best friend I didn't realize if I had met you 10 years ago and told you all this you probably would (sighs) have Oh, oh completely <laughs> in fact I can say with my hand on heart that I would have been the person that would have been like oh but it's your mom I don't know how you can think that right. totally oblivious because I yep. was so enmeshed with my mother mm-hmm. it was like we were one person and some of the ways in which my mother has crossed limits and crossed boundaries and I've just thought that was yay happy clappy mm-hmm. are beyond me like right beyond me and so very much uh more like a spousal relationship mm-hmm. um more like a uh therapist relationship but certainly yes. I would have said spousal or confidant um and yeah just really crossed the boundaries to the point that I was convinced that we were just super close like super- right because it had always just been me and mum. And that well, that would be right. what I'd say. We're just closer than other people because it's always just been me and mum. Right. No, no, we just didn't have any boundaries. We were so... And now when I see people with healthy relationships, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I would have loved that. Yeah. There yeah. is that yeah. jealousy. And, you know, you, you mourn the relationship that you wish you had and that you yes. don't have um, yeah. and that you never will have. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it makes you... 
yeah, it makes you be like, oh, you know, I wished that I had that type of relationship, but I know that it's not possible to have that type of relationship because there will always be some sort of, um, what is the word? Uh, there'll be a catch to it, you know, like, oh yeah. Yeah. There'll be like, okay, so what are, what are they expecting from me? What am, what do I need to do? And, you know, it's, it's hard because it's like, you know, I, one of my best friends, you know, her mother passed away when she was a young adult and we've talked about it all the time. You know, I was like her mother's birthday had come up recently and she was like, Oh, I'm going to make cookies with my daughter, you know, cause that's what I used to do with my mom. And you know, it's her birthday. And I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. And it makes it, you know, it makes me like, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Talked about it where I was like, sometimes I feel bad about like my mother's still alive like I can wish her a happy mother's day yeah. um but she's like no she's like it, your your feelings are just as valid because you don't really have a mother yes yeah. you have a biological but but you mm-hmm. just because she gave birth to you does not mean that she is a mother yeah and you know like it's nice that you know somebody from the other end who like had a great relationship with their mom really misses their mom can understand where I'm coming from around the, you know, especially, you know, Mother's Day here in the States is um, next weekend. Okay. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, either one or two things is going to happen. One, my mother's not going to send me a happy Mother's Day, which fine, that's expected. We, we're no contact. Or two, she's going to send a happy Mother's Day text. And then after that text, a really long <laughs> paragraph or a really long text message about who knows what Mm. (laughs) you almost have to brace yourself for those things and you know today is her birthday and it's been like you know I stayed away from Facebook because you know Facebook loves to remind you that it's people's birthdays yeah and so I was like I'm just not gonna get on Facebook today um and just not you know just it's just another day Cinco de Mayo here so yeah de Mayo here so I'm like maybe go have some margaritas holiday <laughs> sounds like a good plan I think that sounds right. like a brilliant plan I do think <laughs> that when it comes to those particular days you almost do try to distract yourself I think I said to you in the email that the cat was born on the same yes. day as my mum and I was like fuck it, it's the cat's birthday now we're gonna make a cake <laughs> for the cat it's yep. the cat's birthday <laughs> and as stupid as that sounds yep. to me that was like no I'm gonna turn this from a negative because I did find on those particular days that it stung just a little bit more and right. I'd start to remember little things like I'd never even really considered it but like when I'd bought her birthday presents and they would be sneered at or if I'd bought her pre- birthday presents and they would be pride of place and they would be, oh my goodness, they're so amazing. Or, and then years later, she'd say to me, yeah, I really hated that. I just didn't want you to know those kind of things. Yeah. And it stings a bit more on those days. Yeah. yeah. So reframing yeah. them and finding something else to distract you, I think is a good Yeah. Plan. And my sister, you know, even said something to me the other day, because I asked her, I was like, how do you get over the guilt of not wishing her a happy birthday? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I do wish her a happy birthday. I just don't say it to where she can respond she's like you know I'm I'm happy that she was born because she gave me life but and that's that you know I write it down and then I go on my way yeah and I was like oh yeah that's a really you know good way to do it that's a really good idea that's a really good way of doing it I'm grateful that you were born and that's that's about it (laughs) right 
Thanks right, for like having me. me. Life. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for giving birth to Thanks me. Thanks for giving birth to me. <laughs> and that's about as much positivity as I've got for you. But equally, right. it's reframing it to yourself as actually, I'm not going to see it as a negative. I'm grateful that you're here because otherwise I wouldn't be here. And yes, I've had right. to overcome a lot of hurdles to get to the point where I'm okay because of you. But I'm going to let that go. And I'm just going to say I'm grateful to the universe that you've made it here so that I can mm-hmm. be here and I don't need you in my life. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and for chatting to me today. I am so grateful Thank to you. Thank you for having me. I was so excited. <laughs> oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. And guys who are listening, thank you for being with us. As always, I am Harriet Shearsmith. Together we are Unfollowing Mum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.